Hello everybody, thank you very much for downloading this week's episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. This is just to let you know that the Cinema Catch-Up Club has an official Patreon page. If you'd like to become an official member of the club and get some bonus goodies, including early access material and bonus features only available to our patrons, then please join up at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. And now, for this week's episode. and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast of films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, we're watching Memento, Christopher Nolan's film, which is turning 20 years old. I know, time is passing us all by far too quickly. And joining us, uh, as always, we have someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film... Uh, returning for her second Nolan film in a row, it's Kate Willoughby. Hello! Kate, you were last on watching Inception. Which, oh, yes. Um, which was a bit of a mixed experience, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, your um, homemade Ferrero shares were amazing. Right. That's all I'll say on that was all right. Okay, it was, like, yeah. it was a mixed bag, yeah. Um, but now we are moving on to a film from right near the start of his career, Memento. What do you know about uh, Memento? Well... I say as I look down at the DVD, it has Guy Pearce in it, mm-hmm. Carrie Ann Moss, and Joe Pantolano. <laughs> what a cast. I mean, I didn't know any of those actors were in it. Um, yeah, Guy Pearce is cool. And uh, oh, wait, was that that woman? That was in Inception as the wife? No. No, no, that was Marianne Cotillard. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss is probably best known as Trinity from the Matrix films. Oh, uh, okay. And in fact, uh, Joey Pants, as I think he should be known, uh, Joe Pantoliano, uh, is also okay, from the Matrix so. films. Oh, well, really? one of them, I guess. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, you know the three leads. <laughs> yes, and that memento, I feel like then, a memento is like a thing that you have. You know, like a little memento. Mm. So this movie must be about having something that's important because mementos are things that you remember, that you remember moments and you hold them dear close Mm. to you. So clearly memento means that he has something that's dear to him that's probably gone because that's how movies go, I guess. All right. Well, joining us as our guest who has seen the film, uh, it is Mr. Murray Jackson. How are you, Murray? Oh, Stephen, I'm wonderful. How great it is on this fine, sunny day to be sitting in this dark room watching a film. Yes, it is one of the first nice days we've Mm. had for a while. Uh, And it does coincide with us watching Memento. So in a vague, non-spoilery sort of way, Mm. um, what what do you remember about this film? Well, it's odd, really. I was talking to you about this earlier, Stephen, and um, it's yeah, it's one of those films where I'm struggling to remember a lot of the plot. Obviously, I, I can remember the, the the key outline of what the film is about, mm-hmm. um, but um, let's just say it's a uh, it's about a, a man who um, he has a goldfish memory. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's 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 a way of putting it. Yeah. Mm. Um, and obviously, this was one of Nolan's first films uh, and and arguably would you say this was his breakout success? 
Um, or would you say? Yeah, I think later? I think so. Yeah, it is um, because looking at his career prior to that, I think he made a short uh, film and he made one other feature, which I haven't seen. Um, so this was, yeah, certainly the one which I think made him bankable in uh, in the eyes of um, Hollywood. And you know, he went on after this um, to make another film, which I think is very much in a similar vein, really, mm. um, in Insomnia, which mm. was a remake of a. Um, a Scandinavian film from memory. But, um, yeah, I was thinking the other day um, how at the time when I saw this film, thinking maybe this is the start of, you know, some really good um, dramatic thrillers coming back to, to cinema. Um, and the, the one that immediately popped into mind afterwards was Insomnia. Mm. Um, and then I went, oh, that's right. Nolan made that as well. Mm. Um, so maybe it was just Christopher Nolan who was trying to bring that genre back to life uh, in a year when uh, you had pretty much big CGI flicks like Gladiator and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah. Um, here was this little, you know, intimate little uh, dramatic thriller, um, which did yeah pretty good business, I think, at the time. And as you've pointed out, uh, I also like to think of as the Matrix cast reunion film. Yeah, a little bit. It's from a, around that same time period as well. Yeah, uh, just they, a year after. Yeah, so it, it is kind of funny seeing how all that blends together. Um, guys, I, I don't think there's really much more to discuss with this, seeing as between the three of us we have almost no memory of this film, uh, which is quite funny. So shall we watch Memento? Yes. Yes, let's. Okay, for those of you listening at home, uh, pop in those DVDs and make sure that tattoo gun has lots of ink in it as we watch Memento. Memento. everybody we have just finished watching memento and by we i of course mean mr murray jackson hello there and madame kate willoughby hello i don't know you said madame i thought i should do a weird voice no hello how are you kate i'm good how kate are you? you just finished watching memento yes um it was your first time watching it as well mm-hmm. what do you think yeah it was pretty good yeah the whole time the movie because it just Brooklyn Nine-Nine did a Memento episode, and it was mm. called Pimento. Right. Because um, that was a character's name. And the whole point was this guy had, like, tattoos because he couldn't remember stuff. And Jake Peralta was like, it's like the movie Memento. And both of them hadn't seen Memento. And he's like, how have you not seen Memento? So they just keep using the example of um uh, uh, Dor- Dory from Finding Nemo. They're like, oh, yeah. it's like from Finding Nemo. He's like, no, this is... Um, yeah, and I was the Finding Nemo, Finding Dory thing. I was like, yeah, okay, like he lost his memory like in Finding Dory. Mm. Um, so watching Memento, I enjoyed the joke more. Um, mm. But yeah, that was interesting. I don't know how I thought about the ending or the beginning. Well, it's um, hard to tell what is the ending or the beginning as well because yeah. it's it's not in sequence. But yeah, which is really I'm, cool. I'm sure somewhere out there there's a fan cut where someone's actually cut the thing into, uh, into a, a linear... Um, I think it would be interesting line. watching it as a linear timeline because then you're feeling... But I think if it was done in a linear timeline... It'd be, be a very short movie. It'd be a short film, but also it would be the tension would be on um, Teddy. Yeah. Because you'd be building this tension of this guy now going, okay, I'm thinking 
And yeah, so you'd be rooting for Teddy to not be murdered at the end. Mm. Or the spoiler. beginning, as it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I can't think... be spoiled. I've just watched the film. Oh, no, yeah. Some people just listen to the podcast to hear our... Uh, well, I should have watched tone. the film. You should have listened to Stephen's instruction. <laughs> Well, whether or not you have or have not listened to the, uh, or watched the film yet and you are listening to this, I think that this is one of those films that is eminently re-watchable knowing the plot because of the way that it's constructed. Mm. I, I feel as though this would not be that interesting a film were it in linear order. No. Um, and I think the decision to really lean into this idea of short-term memory loss and playing it from the perspective of someone who is constantly trying to build the world around them and what's going on from these little grabs. I think showing it running mostly backwards, I thought was a really clever way of doing that. And I personally really enjoyed going, oh, that's how he ended up in this situation. That's how he ended up sat on the toilet with a wine bottle, but not drunk. Yeah. Like th- these kind of things. Mm. Um, Murray, when did you last watch this film? Oh, God. Um, I- I'm, I'm going to say it's probably... Shucks, it must be at least 15 years, I'm guessing. It's, it's a fair while. How was it revisiting? Um, it, it, was, it was a little bit like Guy Pearce's character. I, I was trying to piece together what I could remember. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, bit, bits of it sort of came back. I couldn't recall exactly... I mean, I knew you know, Teddy dies, but um, I, I couldn't recall how we arrived at that um, point. So that was yeah. interesting to me. And... Uh, you know what what i also um probably got more this time is that you know each of those scenes is that little bit of memory that he's he's grabbed before he either falls unconscious or goes to sleep or whatever the case may be Mm. um so yeah you're really living his character aren't you the whole way through Mm. and that sense of disorientation that he has um, I was like you. I was I was waiting for the you know, trying to remember when's the moment when he gets the scratch on his face, mm. and of course it's right at the um, at the end of the film or the beginning of the film if you. Well, yeah, because it sort of shows way. that all of this has only really happened in like two days. Mm. I think that like if that, so he kills her, he gets the other tattoo, and then he's like, "What the f- are you doing?" And then he goes and gets the girl. He spends one night there and Teddy's like, get the hell out of this town because he's murdered someone. He's like, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. And then he murders him. So it all really happens in like a short span of time. It's just the extra, the flashbacks are from longer periods, if that makes sense. But the core of the action of like with the girl and and with the guy, like that's only like, I think two days. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that this is a really well put together film but i found myself um a little bit disappointed with the twist ending yeah despite having seen this film before i completely forgot that that final crux that final ending where teddy is basically saying because you you already found him and you've already done this and now i'm just using you to hustle drug dealers i guess and i found that a little bit unsatisfactory i guess to an extent um partly just because it felt that that bit felt a little bit cheap i guess see i I didn't approach it like that at all i I took it more from the perspective that the important note here was that he will remain unsatisfied no Mm. matter how many times he plays this out how many times he does this um he will remain unsatisfied 
because it's the quest that gives his life purpose. Yeah. And, and, and that's the bit that I'd really grabbed onto. The bit about, you know, the, the cops' reasons for assisting him. And so, oh, I yeah. Didn't really I, I think it's that. like, I think it's a good way of doing a twist. Mm. I, some, sometimes I feel as though that twists do cheapen films. It almost yeah. feels as though, like, something has been put there just to make you go, oh, I did not see that coming. Um, and mm. I, I guess it's maybe just. I, I tell you what it is. It's because I don't know if I actually believe the truth that Teddy says. Because we've been so conditioned throughout the course of the film to not believe his lies. Even though, ultimately, that is a lie, maybe, that mm-hmm. um, that Leonard was telling himself. Yeah, about whether his wife was alive or not. Then you go, well, oh, hang on, is she dead or is she not? And like, yeah. It's like Teddy gave two different stories as an explanation at the same time. So it's very... Yeah, my, 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 I guess maybe, yeah, my, my slight dissatisfaction is we still don't actually know the full truth of it. Um, you know, Teddy is probably a cop. It seems almost certain that he is a cop, but he seems unreliable. But I, I, I can't tell if that's what's true or whether it's I've been conditioned Well, I think that was the Leonard's important experience. part of, of the, the character and, and the, you know, the idea that you have to be like him, doubting teddy's veracity throughout this so that's a difficult thing to i understand what you're saying it's a difficult thing to buy at the end that teddy has been telling him the truth and has been a faithful and good friend to him along the way um because of the way it's been played throughout the rest of the film yeah Uh, and also i guess that's sort of the final stuff of how it began was him making the decision that if he thinks that he's made this guy a killer that he's not a killer that um that his decision will be fine then i'll make sure that i'll kill you that i think you know if you've made me a killer then i'm gonna get you and you're not even gonna realize that i'm i don't know it's very like he made that conscious choice to be like i'm gonna hunt you down yeah i think that you killed my wife i see it, it it came across to me more along the lines of um it doesn't matter you'll do yeah, yeah. I, I think both are true. I think there is a little bit of reaping what you sow for Teddy in terms of that he's taken someone who, on the one hand, he's saying that he cares for and is disadvantaged, but he's using someone who's disadvantaged the same way that Natalie uses mm-hmm. him as well. Yeah. Um, but on the on the flip side, I think it absolutely feeds into the fact that this really is a story about how revenge is like an empty motivator. It's it's all hollow. There there is no victory through mm. revenge, um, particularly in this case. And I think that's one of the things that I quite like about Memento is that it is set up as a you know revenge story, kind of like a you know Charles Bronson in the seventies, little bit kind of like those style of films, but actually has this message that underlies the whole thing that says that revenge is a flawed concept. Um, and but also I think it's fascinating that it's with a character who says himself he cannot heal it is not possible for him to heal because of his condition and the fact is that the world around him doesn't necessarily either buy into or believe this short-term memory loss condition through the story of Sammy which he tells um, and through his own experiences we see that people take advantage of him all the time and how he's just trapped in a really terrible crappy situation um 
But it's also, I suppose, the, the, the story also focuses on the fact that he believes he has a system of building a cohesive narrative when it's clear he doesn't. There, there is no facts in his facts. Mm. The, 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 the facts are twisted yeah. to suit his narrative. You build your own narrative. It's very reminiscent of Fight Club in, in a lot of ways. Mm. This whole idea of unreliable narrators slash protagonists um, and the idea of what is truth and playing around with that and also answering that with with violence yeah i guess it's also interesting with like um i mean because the polaroid works because it's like a quick way to get images mm. and then i'm like oh well, that's in one way a more reliable way because he's getting the image as it is but then also you would think okay well i guess how would memento work with like today's technology because like mm. he could easily have saved pages on like his phone about things or yeah. you know you don't have the handwriting but i guess it'd be easier to access information he, or record people or he, yeah he'd probably be doing a lot of like phone videos of himself yeah saying things like hi this is me leonard uh speaking to you he'd be like what's up leonard <laughs> make sure you mash that like trust, and like and subscribe trust, don't trust teddy like but then it's easy <laughs> obviously people can delete stuff and change it and yeah stuff. i guess it's just be i guess it's just interesting that sense of how much can you you know but make the, stuff reliable mm. with your but information. That's it, isn't it? I mean, it doesn't. I don't think it would really matter. He he's building the narrative he wants to build. Yeah. There were times there where he wrote down things that were true. So Teddy said to him, "Don't trust Natalie," and he wrote that down. But he crossed it out. But then found the photo of Teddy. Don't believe his lies and. Even though that was something that he had written down, he'd created that himself. Yeah. He believed it and crossed out the real fact. So you build your own narrative. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I do have to say, I think the performances in this film really are good. great. I, I think this is a really... It's a small cast, but the, they're all hitting above average. Um, Guy Pearce is an interesting lead. Um, and we were saying before, he's got a little bit of a sort of varied career um but i think he's absolutely brilliant in this role he's really good there's only one time in the entire thing where his australian accent came through um it was like early on in the film and then like it was like two words and the rest of it was like was it when he went yeah nah and yeah um no it was just like once and i think it's only if, i think if you're an australian you would probably notice the it was like the vowel changes are probably like an A and an R or something. Hmm. Um, but he was really good in it. And his um, narration was really good. Because I think, like I said at the beginning, it was based off a short story. So hmm. that makes sense why there would be a lot of narration. Because the movie is also about being in his own head. Yeah. So I thought he did a really good job. And he does obviously a lot of scenes by himself. The whole hmm. sequence is in black and white where he's talking to the cop. Great where storytelling. Yeah. But we we never hear we never hear the cops side of the mm. phone call because because it's Teddy and that obviously needs to be obscured from us for the big reveal um, in the third act. But his performances in telling these stories and narrating the sequences about Sammy, um, they're really good. Yeah, he's very compelling. And I'm I'm just looking through the rest of his filmography at the moment. Um, yeah, Guy Pierce. Yeah, and he's yeah. he's done a lot of things, but I don't know if any of them have been as captivating as this well i mean he a couple of years before this did la confidential mm. and that was his big 
American Hollywood debut. break. Yeah, and I think that's probably um, how he got Memento. Yeah, him and Russ. Um, and that undoubtedly um, convinced him that you know this this kid could do uh, uh, you know American um, stuff. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, mm. and uh, I mean we were even saying when we were watching it, but Joe Pantoliano or Joey Pants is um, I think is is a better name for him. Um, I, I, I I think you should try and sell that to him, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's obviously why, you know, maybe in these later years the career hasn't gone. Perhaps well, it's yeah. probably great. because he can only yeah. play one type of character. He does it really great. But he's so good in this. He's though. so good in it. He, he plays weasels, doesn't he? Mm. In, yeah. in, 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 in a lot of films he's in, he plays the weasel. Yeah, I mean, he was absolutely the weasel in um, in The Matrix the year before this. Um, but he he's just... There's something about him where even though you are convinced that he's conning you, a little bit of you makes you go, oh, but he could just be a bit of a dick. And it could just be that's how he talks. Yeah. Um, like, it wasn't it wasn't as though I was watching it and going like, yes, no, absolutely. He's definitely someone who is always lying all the time. I believe he was lying a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, it's it's such an interesting performance. And I think he's 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 so well matched to that part. Um, he 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 does a great job. Hmm. Um, yeah, he's 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 very good. You know, I, li- I like him in this. I like him in the Matrix. I liked him in Bad Boys. You know, he's he he, he does he does good stuff. Oh, he's, he does. Definitely, he's one of those character actors who turns up and you just go, oh, this will be fun. Yeah, you're hmm. gonna enjoy what he's doing. What I would like to ask though, uh, Kate, is um, how you thought uh, Carrie Ann Moss did in this film. As um, as Natalie. Yeah, she was really good. I mean, the first time I saw her, I was like, well, the two options that I thought of was one, either his wife wasn't dead and that was the wife, or two, the injuries that she has on her face when we first meet her, he's caused them and she's getting revenge. So straight away, those were the first, those were the two options. And when we were getting flashbacks of the wife at the beginning, you didn't see her face. And I was like, okay. Then you saw her face. And I was like, okay, well, it's not the wife thing. So then it's probably... He caused those injuries. I thought that she had scratched him. That's where she got the scratch. That's where he got the scratches from. But that right. wasn't the case. Um, it was just because the way that, um, you know, I mean, the fact that she kept she called him Lenny, and he says I don't like that, and she said I know, and the black sunglasses, and like you know, she was very much, you know, clearly set as not like, I guess because it sort of has he likes playing detective. She has that femme fatale sort of look mm. for this if he likes playing detective the helping the woman because she's you know out of pity and like she's you know a damsel but also dangerous that kind of imagery so i think she did a really good job um i haven't seen her in a lot of stuff so i thought she was i thought she was good and she was just full of spite the whole film mm. and i'm like well yeah her boyfriend was probably was murdered like two days ago like a when she first met yeah. him, he had been dead for like a couple of hours. So she had discovered that this is the guy that probably murdered her boyfriend, then realized that he's got no memories and is using her, using him to get revenge is kill Teddy and hopefully him getting caught with the murder or I guess whatever happens next would be quite interesting to see um, what goes on. But yeah, I thought she did like, I thought she did like a good job. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's as kind of like the leading three of this film. I think they do a very good job interacting with with Guy Pierce because obviously we never see Teddy and Natalie in the same 
space they don't interact at any no. point um but i find them a really sort of interesting counterpoint to one another even though they're kind of doing the exact same thing they both end up seeing um leonard as this resource that they can use and how it's it's kind of the same way that you get with um the way superhero texts are written you know uh, uh, you know the idea of um a gift or a power also being a curse and in this case they've almost applied the opposite logic where it's like man these memories not being able to form short-term memories that's awful but we can use this and the idea of how that is used i think is just really fascinating seeing the two of them play that off each other yeah. um here's and, a question for y- you yes was she actually necessary to him ending up killing teddy um i'm not sure i don't think she was no she like... he already had taken the picture of the license plate mm-hmm. tattooed himself with it he already had john g raped mm. and killed his wife yeah mm. tattooed on the, the only thing line. that she did help him with was the license thing yeah yep. um and she probably would have used that seeing the letters and the thing so for her but she wouldn't have had any idea that it was teddy's license plate um, That's well, a happy accident. Well, I feel like, though, is... Um, so I reckon even without her, he would have eventually come to the conclusion in his own mind that yeah. Teddy was the killer. Because the key information that she provided to him, piecing this back together chronologically, is that she had a friend who ran his licence plate through the DMV yeah. and it came back, his, he was a John G. Yeah. And so... Which is truthful information. Yeah. He could have found that out another way i suppose not wanting to unravel not not unraveling the plot here no, but, but I'm, I, I it, it's it's just you you think about it and you think how integral was she to him actually mm. turning on it, teddy in, in reality she's probably more important and is involved because of the role of jimmy yeah because the connection between her and mm. teddy their stories is actually jimmy who you know that that it's essentially like a, a work meeting gone wrong, or the idea of like Teddy using I think she Leonard would, to jump. Um, I think Jimmy. she would have met Teddy because she kept asking. She goes, "Where's Teddy?" And she's like, and she kept mm. mentioning his name. Yeah. So, um, but she's never met Memory Guy before, or maybe she, no, she hasn't. The way she she tested him. Yeah. Um, but she's heard of him, so she's clearly met Teddy before. So then I think the second she saw Teddy's thing pop up mm. um, and um, maybe like she was, I think that would have gone, oh, mm. the number plate for Teddy is maybe she thinks that it's just a, you know, so I think she used that to I, her I, advantage I, of maybe in her brain, she probably thought, great, Teddy, the guy that's probably organized that murdered my partner. Mm also has the same initials I'm, as the guy. I'm actually wondering if it is actually just a happy accident, right? And that her using of Leonard was simply to get Dodd off her back because obviously Dodd's after the money yeah. that yes. he's owed. Which was in the car the whole time. Bingo, that's in the car. Mm. I, I think she, her prime motivation for using Leonard was to get rid of Dodd. Yeah, I mean, mm. that's also true. 
Yeah. No, I, I think absolutely. But I think it's really interesting that had had we watched this film in a chronological order, there wouldn't be any doubt about that. I think mm. I think we would have we would view her in a very different way, um, because watching it backwards and watching it through, not quite Leonard's perspective, but a little bit where we build on the le- her her identity from her later memories going backwards, then yeah, she's more sympathetic. She's also learnt how to speak to Leonard to make him sort of engage with her and saying things like you know. I'm helping you because you help me, like all the all this kind of stuff. And I'm wondering about, yeah, how that shapes our viewpoint as viewers, because we're so used to watching stories where we build on things in that chronological order. Could it be that if this was presented in a chronological order, that we would maybe much more sympathetic towards Teddy and much less sympathetic towards Natalie? Wheels within wheels. This is Inception all over again. Well, this is where he got the idea. He's probably sitting there going, hmm, I could make this more confusing. Well, yeah, I mean, because this was based off a short story, so I think he had a very clear mm. arc of, like, what he wanted. I mean, whether you find... whether I mean, he obviously would have expanded on it. Um, I'd be interested to read the short story to see how much he um, grew the, like, extra characters or whether the short story is just the... um the phone conversation and the, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, mm. So that'd be interesting. But because like Inception was like his own sort of stuff. Mm. So I, yeah. So it is a little bit different, I guess. Um, mm. What he's like writing his own stuff and what he's like adapting other people's work. Mm. Uh, quick shout out for Stephen Tobolowsky mm. uh, as uh, Sammy Jankis. Uh, does the, most of his acting with his face. Yeah, um, he's he's great. Yeah, that, that's he's, that's he's, my he, takeaway he, from it. He, he's <laughs> the lost puppy, isn't he? Mm. I think he. Yeah, he he brings, and the story that that of Sammy brings kind of like a much needed softness to the film, I guess. Mm. Um, like someone who isn't a scumbag. Well, even, it's, even it's, though even though you're set it's, up, it's the real tragedy of the film. Yeah. Yeah. But then because it gets so conflated at the end with with um Leonard's story. Mm. I'm now sat here at the end going how much of Sammy's story was true? How much of it was was just representative mm. of what Leonard went through and you know what what was Sammy, what was Leonard? Well, it's hard mm. because I guess the idea is that after his wife's possible murder or whatever he doesn't remember anything else so a lot of his stuff seems to be i guess you know we make our own memories but a lot of that stuff seemed very clear about things that he had done previously like you remember hmm. the stuff so that he remembered everything up he to the remembered murder. everything up until that murder so the details so. of his job and stuff i do i do genuinely think that that's true um, but I guess. But then, he would remember too if his wife was a diabetic. Yes. There'd be no confusion there. Yeah. Mm. And so I think. Yeah. So I do think that that was a real person. Um, but how much he, em- he embellishes and how much that changes over time because of his current state of memory is, you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's hard. I don't know how I feel this, but like normally if I watch a movie, like I have a really strong opinion about it. I'm mm. like, I love this movie or 
this movie mm. or oh this was really good but that part was crap like mm. this whole movie like I enjoyed watching it I thought it was interesting I was intrigued throughout most of it and then it finished and I was like okay like I that yeah. ending I just wasn't happy with like I got the theme and mm. I got the what it was about I just you know it felt something felt off like something was missing and maybe it's just like the pace of the film I, I don't know what it was but the movie ended and I just went okay like that was good but I'm not mm. I feel so apathetic about this film even it, though it wasn't yeah. bad I enjoyed it is it because the story ends in the middle could, could it be that it feels even though there is quite clearly like a, a climactic point of the truth in quotation marks being revealed by Teddy to Leonard about the fact that he, what he's doing is is empty and vacuous and that he's already killed John G. Um, and and that, how many of what's, what's actually killed before? It's what that. happens next. So yeah. he's just, he kills Teddy. Does he now go back out to the car? Does he now burn the picture of Teddy? Well, that's the so thing. that he well, can start we do, again. We do see yeah. that the picture fades because obviously that's meant to explain it's we're going backwards and like we're, hmm. you know. Um, and I think it would have been more, I don't know, like a part of me, like I like that ending of he made that decision hmm. and you're like, whoa. But then I thought it would be, it would have been cool if it went back to after Teddy. Hmm. And I think if you wanted to bring the woman back in, that would have been interesting of like, because she gave him the... I don't know. Like, I think it would have been interesting of her getting her revenge. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know how mm. it should have ended, but it felt like, yeah, like you were stuck in the middle. Like, yeah. it had such a really strong beginning, and then it was just like, no, you're re you're a reflection of who you are. Everyone needs a mirror to see who they are. Like, sort of... I don't know. But I I also think to, to tie... He shut his eyes and he opened, then he forgot. Yeah. He forgot everything that had just happened and his plan to blame Teddy. I think to sort of tie into that idea of the character of Leonard being trapped in this pretty tragic set of circumstances, um, it feels, you know, it feels a little bit like stories from like the tragedies from ancient Greece. Mm. It feels like a little bit like, you know, the story of like Orpheus and Eurydice, where it's just like, they're trapped in this kind of awful situation, but they make it worse and keep themselves in the trap. Yeah. And I don't know that there is a way to to end it in a way that would make you feel satisfied because that's not the the point, I guess. Like, I, I, I don't know that they sat down. They went, we want everyone to walk out the cinema going, yep, that's the story all wrapped up in a bow. I think the questions that are left, though it makes me... I'm, I want to know what he does after mm. after he shot Teddy. I kind of prefer that that answer isn't there. Mm. I, I kind of think I really appreciate the fact that we don't know. And in a couple of moments, Leonard himself won't know. Yeah. Because all he'll have is one photograph of dead Teddy. And if that gets destroyed, if that gets, you know, he writes something down saying, like, wrong guy, keep looking. Or, you know, if he gets... Uh, if he gets an escort to hide it around his room so that he can then burn it later. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, it feels as though he's doing a lot of things to keep himself trapped in that situation. Well, yes, because that's the whole thing. And that's, whole... that's, that's what I take from the film. Yeah. And that's the whole that, theme. That's the purpose of his life now. Mm. The 
purpose of his life now is just to continue in this circle within circle um, state that he's in as far as his, his mindset's concerned, continually looking for someone who's no longer there. And I mean, that, I mean, because that's the and whole that's thing the tragedy is that he says, you know, what Sammy didn't have was repetition. You know, if you can remember, so like that is the repetition that in his idea, in his brain, is the thing that will keep him sane, is the thing that will keep him purpose and not lose who he is completely. Like being in that, you know, nursing home, not knowing that his wife is dead. You know, you're stuck in a a vat of like an empty whiteness. Well, this one's like, no, if you, there's the Bible, there's the da-da, there's the find the murderer that took my wife. Like, so mm. it's something that keeps him going. And I, and I did get that. I just thought... I don't know what the ending would be, but I don't know. I just sort of finished. I didn't need everything to be tied up in a bow. I just needed, like, something stronger. Yes, you did, Kate. You wanted completion, and it doesn't provide it, and it annoys you. Yeah, maybe. I don't uh, know. Yeah. Um, but I, I think we can all agree, it's a pretty interesting film. Oh, it's interesting. Mm. Like, it's, it's one of the more engaging films I've watched recently in terms of, like, you have to give it your undivided attention i'd yes. say even more so than inception inception had that game of like trying to follow where they were in the different dream levels yeah. but that wasn't necessarily throughout the whole film mm. um it sort of like explained the rules and set up the pieces and then you play it in there within this film you are the the game has started before you even sit down to watch the film in a sense yeah. like you are you are thrown right in the deep end and you have to figure it out with the character and i feel as though they're two very different stories they're telling stories in very different ways but i feel like i prefer the way memento told its story to inception i agree mm. what would you think Murray? oh well i'd have to revisit inception it's been a while since i've watched that as well Stephen. well there's a whole podcast episode yeah. you can listen to well i'll have to slip the disc in and give mm. it a watch and then listen to you guys yeah. um i i do i, th I sometimes find with some of Nolan's films, the concepts more interesting hmm. than necessarily the film itself. Yeah. Um, uh, but that applies to, to probably very few. Um, I, I seem to remember it applying to Interstellar, um, it, it applying to Inception. Hmm. Um, yeah, he, he, yeah he, he does have an interesting perspective as a director and, and he's obviously interested with certain key ideas and key mm. concepts and they keep coming out in his films so um yeah it's whether or not you um want to dwell on you know uh whether or not this guy's been um just a, a smarty ass mm. uh or whether or not that the film is actually a, an engaging piece of cinema i i think it's an engaging piece of cinema myself yeah. um and you know he, he he i suppose looked at someone uh or his next film after this which is insomnia um was once again a a character who is tortured by his um by his memories so mm. um question in hmm. that one tortured by his memories is there like is there like a dead partner in this one in that one as well is there like a there is a dead partner but yeah. it's not your um your traditional partner as it were um it's his work partner oh okay yeah mm. yeah, yeah it's just because like i'm just noticing a pattern with a 
a lot of his movies but um you, you are <laughs> noting on uh christopher nolan's uh dead wives tr- yeah yeah he like uh, like or dead like like even say like even in batman like he had to pick you know harvey or maggie smith i can't mm. remember like you know um it was maggie harvey smith. or rachel maggie. yeah Maggie Smith was his Maggie life. Smith, yeah, would have been great. <laughs> yeah. Just just Heath Ledger dangling her out of a window. She'd be like, let go of me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My brain's all over the place. Maggie but, Gyllenhaal. I think yes, name, yeah. Maggie Gyllenhaal, who played... Um, Rachel. 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 Um, but, like, he had to pick and, like, he, he, you know, like, and he, like, so it's like her death is like, oh. But the point with that one was that he chose to save Rachel and was punished because the Joker had switched Rachel and Harvey's exactly. positions. Yeah. yeah. So, But you, you are right. This is something that actually comes up in the trivia for Memento. So oh, would you guys like some trivia yes. about Memento? Go for it. Let's, let's hear it. The first bit of trivia is to do with uh, the director trademark, uh, Christopher Nolan and Dead Wives. Uh, Leonard is seeking revenge for his dead wife. Dead Wives also pop up in the other Nolan films of Inception, mm-hmm. Interstellar, and The Prestige. Mm. Huh. And as you say, the dead partner in Insomnia as well. There's a real thread. I mean, it, it, you know. Question, was The Prestige and Interstellar, I know I, Inception mm. was his. Was Interstellar and The Prestige also his? In like, terms like of... Because like he, like, he's an auteur, like he sort of wrote, like because Interstellar was something that he had conceptualised and put together. Was The Prestige... And Interstellar also. I think he. I think he wrote most of most of the stuff he does. He, most is, of the stuff he does, he's right. Because I know obviously Dark Knight. Either him or his and brother. Like, yeah, because yeah, J- Jonathan with... Nolan does a lot of the the sort of screen plays with him and the screenwriting. Mm. Okay. Um, I would have to look that up. Yeah, um, no, because I'm just curious because obviously this is based off a short story, and then you're saying Insomnia was based off like a European film, and obviously Dark Knight, like that's yeah. you know, based on the comics, but obviously. He gets to choose yeah. those stories still. So The um, Prestige was written by Nolan and his brother, um, but it was an adaptation of a 1995 novel by the same name by Christopher Priest. Mm. So that one's an adaptation. So they may have taken the, the dead wife from, from mm. that story. They may have been attracted to it because it fit themes fits, that they've it, done. It seems to be a very like a theme that I just keep noticing in a lot of his... That obviously someone put in the trivia because like it, it's sort of like mm. this man is in darkness... And there's themes that other people just can't understand. Well, he, and he he does is a lot of his um, protagonists are people, damaged individuals. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, they the Nolans wrote Interstellar. That that's an original from them. So they they wrote that one. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah, you're right. Rob Cobb from was it Rob Cobb? Cobb? What was his name from um in, from from Inception? It was Cobb. Dominic Cobb, yeah, not Rob Cobb. That would have been so way better. Weird... His name was weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dominic Cobb um, is quite like Leonard from this film. In a way, I think that's why he was a perfect choice to direct Batman films because that's exactly who Bruce Wayne is. Yeah, Batman's mm. all. Yeah. He's he's very haunted damaged. by his parents. Yeah, but he's damaged and he wears nice clothes. Mm. That's that's Christopher Nolan's whole thing. Uh, but yes, yeah, so a little bit of a running theme there uh, between those particular films. Uh, during Teddy's line. You don't have a clue, you freak. Uh, director Christopher Nolan felt that uh, Joey Pants did not quite nail the end of that line, so he re-recorded the last two words to his liking, delivering them himself. Uh, therefore, in the final film, the words you freak are actually said by Christopher Nolan doing an impersonation of Joey Pants. Uh, 
Joey Pants was unaware of the dubbing until um, he was interviewed uh, about Memento a year later. Oh. So yeah, he went in and went, I don't think Joe did it quite right. I'm just going to do a pretty good Joey (laughs) impersonation here and just work it in. Um, But yeah, so Christopher Nolan actually does speak in this film. Oh, there you go. Fantastic. Mm. Uh, And I was listening out for it and yeah, I couldn't tell that there'd been a switch for even though knowing that information that's so that's really cool yeah um, yeah good stuff um the medical condition experienced by leonard in the film is a real condition called anterior grade amnesia the inability to form new memories after damage to the hippocampus during the 1950s doctors treated some forms of epilepsy by removing parts of the temporal lobe resulting in the same memory oh problems God. that's nice terrible mm. Yeah, well, you know, you take bits out of the brain, it's it's gonna it's not gonna like it. It's gonna yes. it's gonna behave differently. Um Stephen Tobolowski has stated that during his audition for Sammy, he had mentioned to Christopher Nolan that he had experienced amnesia personally. A few years earlier he was given an experimental painkiller that induced amnesia for a surgery uh, that he had undergone. Tobolowski said it may have helped him get the part because no other actor would likely have had first hand experience. Hmm. So, well, apart from the fact that Stephen Tobolowsky is 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 a godlike actor, yeah, he's no one else could play Ned Ryerson. No, absolutely not. No, that, that was really good. I mean, yeah, he did such a good job. Mm. Yeah. Oh wow, that'd be scary. Amnesia. Although the opening scene is literally shown backwards, every single sound effect is played forward, uh, played with normal sound. The only sound played backwards is Teddy screaming no. So all the stuff he does with the um, taking the picture and cocking the gun, that's all the sounds were kept going forward, but the vision was going backwards. Yeah, it was a really good opening. Like that opening was like so strong, Mm. really amazing. I loved that. I got really excited for the film. Yeah, it hooks you in. I think it is what a fantastic opening scene. It's a great opening scene. Mm. And And I think that's why... I'm so upset by the ending because it wasn't wasn't strong. Like it was open-ended, which is fine. But like the opening was like visually amazing. And it was so, I was like, wow. And then the ending, it was just like, here I am driving in a car Mm. and I shut my eyes and I've forgotten my plan and I keep going with the narration. I don't know. I don't know. I just, yeah. yeah. I don't know if it would have been possible to match that opening. No, I don't think so either. Because you may have just gone, they're just doing the opening again. just... Mm. So, yeah, I, I I appreciate that they did different things, but yes. I, I think the opening is just such so a good. strong hook. And, mm. you know, fair, fair dues, they did well. Uh, cinematographer Mark Vargo turned down an interview with Christopher Nolan um, to potentially do this film because he didn't understand the script. Uh, after seeing the film, he admitted it was a mistake. Wally Pfister, who was the cinematographer, uh, worked had previously worked with Vargo as a camera operator. Uh, later, he admitted to Vargo that he didn't understand the script either when they were shooting it. So <laughs> turns out it wasn't necessary for the job. No. So I'm wondering how linear they actually filmed this. I'm guessing they would have had to have shoot it quite linear just for things like the damaged photograph, the car with the window smashed mm. out. Like, I think... I think they filmed yeah. linear and then they did other stuff and then he was probably just like, this movie's like... A bit basic. Like, I don't understand what we're doing. Mm. Yeah. Well, I I mean, yeah, they would have had this... I suppose they would have had this idea of we know it's going to be cut differently from the way that we shoot it, um, as as most films are. But particularly that it wasn't going to be... um, 
events A through Z in the order that they happened. Um, I, I think based on yeah, based on things like the the damage that occurs to things, the wear and tear, the set dressing, it would make it would make more sense if they shot it linearly. But then again, it would also not be surprising if they were jumping around the timeline. Well, and yeah, because you also have to go cuts. with, like, you know, sets. Like, where are you filming? They would have done all the bar stuff at the same place. They would have done all the mm. house scenes at mm. um, her well, house. They, they would have done all those They could the all be interior time. sets, of course. But Oh, yeah, yeah of course. Um, mm. uh, Teddy's phone number, 555-0134, is the same number for Helena Bonham Carter's character, Marla Singer, from Fight Club. Oh, oh that's a nice little... Mm. I wonder why. Yeah. It could just be that that's like a go-to movie phone number. Maybe they this. both lived at the same house. Could be. Ooh, wheels within wheels. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, it's probably a, a prop number that cinema that they are allowed to yeah. use because it doesn't go anywhere. I really don't want any situation where Tyler Durden meets Leonard and it's someone who's not sure whether or not they <laughs> exist versus someone that can't remember what happened. That would be infuriating. Yeah. That would be the worst movie. All the best. Yeah. Oh dear. Uh, and finally, some alternate casting options for you. Uh, here are some of the actors that were considered for the role of Leonard before Guy Pearce got the part. We're not going to say, do you think that this person is better than Guy Pearce at acting? This is more, do you think that they could have done a good job in the role? Mm. Aaron Eckhart. Hmm. I can't remember. Aaron Eckhart played uh, Harvey, Dent. The Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight. Oh, I mean, yeah, he's pretty good. Oh, they clearly wanted like an image. I liked how they clearly wanted like a blonde person and mm. they were like, oh, I'll just dye his hair. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, he's a good actor. Mm, it'll be a different take. Yes. Mm. I don't know that he would have been as almost a little bit feral as Guy Pearce gets mm. at certain points. I think he would feel like that more wholesome thing where I think he would believe that he you know that he was the that worked at an insurance company you know mm-hmm. like had the very middle class sort of life and yeah. everything was torn away from him so a bit more laid back isn't he yeah maybe uh brad pitt mm. oh okay yeah like this, young, this would have worked brad as a brad pitt, pitt movie yeah. yeah i think he'd been great yeah he would have um, done yeah. a good job and um, third option is charlie sheen no. Oh, <laughs> um, oh, that's a different sort of film, isn't it? No, definitely not. Charlie mm. Sheen could have been the drug dealer that gets choked. He could have been Jimmy. He could have been Jimmy with the big handlebar moustache. That handlebar moustache. Actually, I would have. I wouldn't have minded seeing Charlie yeah. Sheen. Yeah, I think he, you know, on, a, on a on a fairly low budget film, I'm not sure it would have worked with Charlie Sheen. I think they could have afforded him. At okay, the time. Charlie, we've we've spent an awful lot of the film's budget on uh, cocaine and hookers. Mm. Wait, what do you mean they're props? <laughs> I've just been snorting baking soda this whole time. Yeah, ah. I know. Yeah, no, this isn't a sex worker. That's an actress for a scene. Yeah, you perv. Um, no, no, so haven't got a high opinion of Charlie Sheen there, Kate. No, I don't. Um, yeah. Awfully good in Hot Shots. He was good in Hot Shots. Yeah, good for him. Mm. Uh, <laughs> We do also have some actors that could have played the part of Natalie as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which is Famke Janssen. Yeah. Uh, she was yeah, uh, yeah. She was Jean Grey in the first lot of X-Men films. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So they clearly had an image of what they wanted her to yeah. look like. Yeah. Yeah. She's good. Yeah. She would have done it. Or around this time, Bond villain. Well, yes. Yes, of course. Uh, another option was Ashley Judd. Ah, uh, too soft. 
Who's Too soft. Uh, She's she in Heat. In heat. Um, and uh, she was also uh, Wesley Crusher's girlfriend in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, oh really? Hmm. Okay. Uh, she was in Double Jeopardy, High yeah. Crimes. She's... she's She's a too I, soft. I think I'm, too soft for this. I'll take your word for it because I'm drawing a blank. I'm really one of those people that's well, like, this is this is a picture of me... her face. So, oh, I do know her. Hmm. No, yeah. she wouldn't have done a good job. No, you don't think so. No, I sort of actually agree. I think if they were going for the role where they really, for a while, wanted her to seem more innocent, <clears throat> until really until that final moment where she starts calling the freak, that could have been the route because I think she would have played that mm. more. But I of course, think... we're calling into question here actors, and actors act, so they, they probably would have all been great. To they be probably honest. would have, uh, yeah. except for Charlie Sheen. Yeah, no, the, yeah, the final option for the uh, role of Natalie was Angelina Jolie. Oh, this um, would have been a bit too young. I would have thought this would have been just yeah. after Girl Interrupted. Yeah, too young. How would she, would she have been there? Thirties? Mm, oh, no, not not even that. No, I reckon she would have been. Should have been in her twenties. Been 20s. in her late twenties. She, oh, the problem is, is I, I the problem is, and this is a problem that comes up in my mm. life all the time. Is I don't know how old Angelina Jolie is. I mean, that's a. I think she's about forty-seven. Do you want to guess while I look it up, Kate? I, how I'm old going, is Angelina Jolie? I'm, I'm going forty-seven. Uh, you know what? I think maybe, I maybe, I would either say forty-five or it's the opposite. It's very surprising, and she's like fifty. Which one are you going for? Um, I'll go for. 50. It's going to be wrong. You should have stuck with what you were. She's 45. <gasps> so she would have been, yeah, 25 when this was yep. released. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, yeah, she would have been... Oh, the problem is, is that they would have gone for, like... She's, you know, very, like, sexy and alluring. Even though I think it's, like, 25, it could have been, like, really more innocent and, like, taking pity hmm. style. But I don't think they would have filmed it like that. Yeah, I mean, and again... Just... They're all good actresses. They just would have yeah. brought different vibes to that character. And I guess what was the vibe... Yeah. Having seen what she was like in Girl Interrupted quite recently, and she is not portrayed as being sexy in that film, in terms of the way that she was portrayed in later films like Tomb Raider or um, Mr. and Mrs. Smith or those kind of things. Um, I absolutely think she could have done it, but I really like Carrie Ann Moss in this. No, she does a really good job. That's what I mean. I think they all would have brought different things to the table. Yeah. I I I think this film's cast is one of its very strong selling points mm. um and it really carries this this idea across the line um and i do do like yeah. that scene where you know she calls him the freak and says you'll never remember this walks out sits in the car and she's just sitting there with that sort of mocking look on her face yeah. any moment any moment yeah it's it's it's, it's really good. It's a really good performance amongst a lot of really good performances in what is a pretty good film. And it's up to us now to score Memento. Kate, you get to go first because it was your first time watching Memento. What score does it get out of 10? Um, I, I can't. I just, I really enjoyed this movie when I was watching it. And then after the movie finished, I just felt so apathetic about it and that mm. makes me feel really bad because it was really it was a good movie so like during the film while i was watching it mm. it was like a seven i was mm. like yeah and then five minutes after the film i was like i think this is a five so it's re- so it's weird it's a good movie i would recommend that people watch it if they have not watched it mm. um i think it's interesting it's a great cast like the way that they filmed it that opening sequence alone is really really cool mm. But I just sort of left going, oh, 
And I, I don't know. I don't know what could have fixed that. I think it was a good movie. So, I don't know, man. Do you want to pick the middle and go six? Yeah, I'll go six. Mm. I'll go six, but watch it. Six, but watch it. Yeah. What about yourself, Murray? Oh, see, I, I... I now feel I have to revise upwards now because um, I, I I think it's a really good film. Um, I, I I'm totally at ease with the idea that not everything is sewn up to our satisfaction. Mm. Um, I if it, you know, if you were annoyed with that in particular, don't ever watch a David Lynch film. Mm. Um, yeah, no. it's one of those films that. Um, I think led me on to wanting to watch other stuff that Christopher Nolan did, mm. even though I didn't really know who Christopher Nolan was at the time. Mm. Um, and I think it's a really strong film, um, even 20 years on. I will give this seven and a half doses of insulin. Mm. That was so messed up. Yeah. That, that's what I mean. Like, it's a good... That's what I'm saying, people. You watch it. If you mm. haven't watched it, I, yeah, you should have, because that's the whole purpose of this podcast. Yeah. Is that, like... So what are you doing, you fools? Um, just driving your car, listening to podcasts about movies you haven't seen. Um, but like, it's good, and there's so many great aspects. It's just, yeah, I don't mind if movies don't give the tight conclusion. And I think if anything, if they gave a piss poor conclusion, I would have been annoyed. Mm. So that's why I'm really frustrated at myself that I don't know what it's missing for that yeah. last section. I don't know what, mm. but it just made me go, I, I don't, nah. mm. I don't know. It's a good movie though. Yeah, I I think it's a very well-made film. Mm. Um, and I think that, I, I remember it being quite formative for me. It was one of the films that we were shown when we were doing film studies in high school. Um, so we were like 15, 16, that sort of age. And our film studies teacher said, we're going to watch Memento because I'm teaching you about non-linear sto- storytelling. Mm. This- and, and how cinema can actually mm. do something specifically that other art, art forms can't. Yeah. This is not something that could be done in theatre. Yeah, or at least no. it would be very tricky. It would be very yeah. tricky. Yeah, and uh, I think it utilises what I guess the short story would have brought. So mm. it actually managed to bring something that I think a lot of time movies, when they try to adapt written work, mm. fail. And I think it was a very... I'd love to read the short story because I think it probably ad- adapted um, the story quite well. Mm. Um, so it was very. Well but th- done. this this like Pulp Fiction is perfectly, um, it, yeah. If you wanted to say what's the magic of cinema, you would put something like this on, or Pulp Fiction, or or something along those lines. Something which only cinema can do. Yeah. Anyway, I, dig- I digress. Back to you, Stephen. No, uh, thank you. But um, that's kind of exactly the point of why. Um, Mr. Driscoll, not the media studies teacher, showed us this film because it is um, it is a really great example of of what you can do with cinema. And I remember the film stuck with me for a long time. Not necessarily the events, because I completely forgot the twist at the end. It's been fifteen years since I watched it, um, but it just that that feeling it engendered that idea of like trust in both your narrator and in the characters being broken or manipulated and twisted um i very much um remember that kind of sticking with me and i i think it's really held up i think this is a 20 year old film that um absolutely you know holds up and i think will probably continue to be a really great example of this kind of storytelling going forward so for me 
Uh, I'm going to give dum, it. Dum, 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 dum. <laughs> Sorry, we need a drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it eight. Sorry, what was I doing? Out of ten, uh, it was. Um, yeah, I think it's. I think it's a really great example of those sorts of films. Even though I do have some of that same slight dissatisfaction with the ending. Yeah, I think it's incredibly well made. And it's so well I enjoyed made. It. Like that's mm. the thing. I, I'd be curious. Do do we think that um, if Memento was given as like a script now, would it be made? I think in a world without Memento, it would probably get greenlit. Um, but I suppose the question is, like, I, I suppose are we are we looking at a world without Memento that still has Christopher Nolan, or are we looking at a world mm. where Christopher Nolan never got into? I, I think it would be more difficult to get made today because. It, it's it's a film that isn't an easy sell. It's not it's not one of those films you can just say. And this is how we're going to to, to, to make this film. And this is what the end product will be. Mm. You you how do you pitch this? Well, that's what I mean. Because um, like Knives Out had an issue hmm. just getting like it eventually got made because like you know it was a love project. Like and even then like it's a very simple like whodunit twist mm. and that was like an original piece and that was hard to get into the cinema so yeah. like uh, for me thinking about memento a lot of like original or adaptations of books or stories mm. it seems a lot harder to get I, I well think, it's yeah. drama drama and drama is hard to yeah. sell i think that this film were it being made today would be much more based around the idea of using modern technology but i think it could still have done a lot of those same concepts of the way he used the Polaroid camera. I think it could have still been done effectively, mm. but I also think it would have been a very different film because I think that the comments we make about it would maybe even partly be focused around um, our individual memories as you know people made of meat versus the collective memory of things like the internet or our technology. Yeah. So I think it would have been potentially quite different I, i'm just very glad that this film was made when it was Definitely. and that it that it absolutely holds up so also question sorry yes. um you know that action movie with um matt damon yes and he has no memory is that jason Bourne? Bourne. jason Bourne. Yeah. did this come like after oh it came well before yeah, yeah. Uh, the first born identity i think was 2003 i think was oh, i think it was after that we're getting, yeah. was, like, was that was that based off a book? Born Identity, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can't remember who the um, author was, but yeah. Yeah, because I was thinking like as the movie was playing, I was like, oh, like Jason Bourne. Hmm. The but first Born Identity film was 2002. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, um, God, I'm getting old. It was based on the Robert Ludlum That's novel it. from 1980. Hmm. Oh, very cool. Yeah, but it's a it's that's a different sort of. Th I mean, this Jason Bourne was essentially um, built as uh, I don't know, not a repost, but a uh, another one for Bond fans. Really, wasn't it? It was a, a essentially building its own little franchise. Yeah, but I think it was just interesting that they were both being used because, and then he lost his. You know, it was that sense of trying to find yourself, and that kind of while well, this character is like you're playing detective. You, like, I don't know, it was very interesting that they were looking at one is more fantasy both, and the both other Both involve has... someone trying to build their life yeah. back together. And yeah. I find that like an interesting concept that gets used a lot, but how this one was really based more in, felt more grounded mm. in that, like, what would it actually look like? 
I mean, yeah, he was a super spy, but it's like, what would that actually look like? And it, I found that more interesting. I don't know. It was just a lot of movies about memory loss. Mm. Mm. Interesting. That brings us to the end of this episode, uh, reviewing Memento. Murray and Kate, thank you so much for joining me on the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Uh, it was a pleasure. What were we doing, Stephen? Um, I'll just read read this note that I've written for you. Ah, it says, kill Kate Willoughby. Really? Oh, sorry, let me scratch oh, no. <laughs> Sorry. Classic. <laughs> I'm a woman, so that I have... Yeah, it's a Christopher Nolan film. I'm Christopher wait, Nolan. But wait, you're not married, are you? No. No, can't. Got to, got to find someone who's married. You've got to find oh. someone who's married. That's how these things work. Mm. Uh, that is all for today, though. Thank you so much for listening in, uh, people at home. Hey, uh, while we're here talking about memory, I'm here to remind you that we have a Patreon. Go over to patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast. You can become a member and get extra bonus features for as little as a dollar a month. They're worth it. I guarantee it. Uh, And also, while we're on the subject of memory and writing things down, we write things down on our Facebook page, uh, usually about upcoming films or reviews we've just done. Uh, So to keep up to date with all the latest information, uh, make sure you find us on Facebook. Just search for the Cinema Catch-Up Club. And if you're like, I don't want to remember things, there's a new episode probably every week, but I'm going to forget to get it. You can subscribe, silly. Just go to your podcast provider of choice, hit subscribe, and you'll get a new episode each week and every week or if you're like Guy Pearce's character it doesn't matter you can listen to the same one again and again and again that's true um, yes you, you could entirely do that listen to this and Groundhog Day on loop and you'll be all good but that is all for this week so until next time goodbye Bye. goodbye You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.